Hey everybody, welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, I'm looking for my good buddy out there, Seth Robinson. Seth. Hey, it's good to see you, but it was even better to see you in person this week. I know. I was thinking about how long it had been. It had been years, which is yeah, ridiculous. Years and years. But ridiculous. Since we speak virtually every day, you know, and, and then just now to see each other in person was just so strange, but it was great. We had a nice lunch. We did. Yep. You were out here for our uh, councils and communities event. Uh, and why don't you tell me a little bit about that? I actually haven't caught up with you really since you got back. So what was the event? Yeah, like? So it was our first CompTIA's, I believe, first um, live in-person event since the whole COVID um, situation. Uh, so people, we've been doing the channel con and doing CCF virtually for the last couple of years. So this was the first get together um, and it was in Chicago. And I honestly, it was really great. It was high energy. Um, a lot of people, it was clear, were just excited to be out of their caves and back together to network and see each other. So there was, you know, a high level of, of, of energy and, and collegiality and everybody was just like really psyched to see each other. And, and I like CCF because it's, um, it's small, it's more of an intimate event. And so the sessions are, and the sessions are very workable. Um, it tend to be grouped into, as you obviously by the name, communities and councils, like-minded people who are sharing the same interests. So um, I took part in the managed services community meeting, um, which had really good attendance and a lot of MSPs just talking about, you know, where they're at today and where they want to go. And they had, you know, a number of meetings like that. It was, um, I give it, I give it high marks. It really was, was good. And you know me, I can be, you know, and on on events, I thought they did a fantastic job. It was really good, and it was nice to see new uh, see old faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's great. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad glad to be bit getting back in the swing of things. That kind of leads us into the the topic for today. Um, we're going to be talking about employee experience, which I think is on a lot of people's minds as businesses are trying to build their post pandemic culture and yeah. and uh way of way of doing things uh and uh to help us out with the topic today we've got a an old friend of ours someone that hasn't been on the podcast for a little while but we're really excited to have him today it's comptia's chief technology evangelist james stanger uh james we're really happy to have you and we're really happy to have you on the team we've had a little shuffling here at comptia yeah. and uh yeah. you're in our department now we're all one big happy research effort so welcome <laughs> kind of cool yeah, yeah, it's been cool actually to see that, and uh, uh, it's certainly part of the employee experience, right? So. Yeah, it, it is. It definitely That's is. True. <laughs> so why don't we jump in here, and and to start off, we'll just kind of talk about what employee experience is, why people are talking about it. Um, I, I feel like there's almost a little bit of a of a caveat here. I, I saw a tweet the other day um, that that I enjoyed quite a bit. It, you know, it was from this person that said. It's bittersweet to announce my resignation as uh, an, an epidemiology expert and moving into being a foreign affairs expert. Yeah, so you know, everyone these days has opinions on everything. Uh, yeah. We we are not you know HR professionals. We're, we're not you know people that spend our time looking at exactly you know a lot of these workforce dynamics, but they're in the news, and we are people that read the news and form opinions. You know, so right. so while we we may not have all of the the, the most scientific answers. I think we've got a lot of experience that we can share 
you know, looking at this type of thing. So, so James, you know, why don't you, you, you kick it off. You were the one that kind of brought this sure. topic to our attention. You know, what are you seeing on employee experience? What does that mean out there? It's, it's been interesting, you know, because first of all, there have been a lot of talk on the IT side. I talk to a lot of IT pros and I've talked to a lot of IT hiring managers. And there's always been discussion about the possibilities of burnout and things like that. And that's been a major discussion even before the pandemic, right? Uh, of course, pandemic happens. The question is, what does the workforce look like in terms of remote work and everything? But the idea of employee experience, I think it goes back to the idea, you, you know, you use the word, I think, interaction or, or you, you were talking about basically the, the back and forth. And I think it, it really has to do with dialogue. And employee experience is simply the idea of understanding what it means to be an employee, uh, uh, what, uh, what the workplace looks like. Of course, that's massively changed. Um, what does it mean to gather data so that you understand how people are engaging with work and then how does that in terms work in terms of productivity and organizations have been thinking about some form of employee experience for decades a uh, long time ago back in the more industrial times when we you know would all show up in a factory there was a company that did a survey of, of the work environment. And they said, well, they determined if they turn the lights up a little bit, right, then they get a little bit, little bit more productivity. They have happier employees. Well, interestingly enough, that happened for a while. And then somehow they got the idea, probably to cut costs, they lowered the lights a little bit, right? You know, kind of maybe backsliding on the employee experience thing. Well, strangely enough, people got happier. <laughs> okay. Mm. People got more productive. It's like, well, wait a minute. What more light, less light or whatever. And the lesson yeah. I learned wasn't so much, um, this is what we know about employees and this is what is better for them. It was the employees on some level interpreted those changes as, hey, folks are listening to our experience, our work experience. And that affected productivity more than one thing going up or down like light or what have you. It had more to do with that dialogue. So to me, that's kind of the major element of employee experience. How do you go about figuring out the personas? How do you listen to data? And how do you make sure that workers are as productive and happy as possible? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And, and I, I draw the analogy, and it's an obvious one, to what we're doing in, an industry, in the industry right now around customer experience, right? So CX and all the efforts that businesses make to improve in that area. So, and a lot of it has to do with what you're saying is understanding personas, understanding how to customize the experience for individual customers because you can't cookie cutter it anymore. It can't be the same way that you deliver everything to everybody. And, and the best companies do that really well. They are, they're very good at figuring out each persona and demographic within their customer set and how best to interact with them, how to support them. Um, and it isn't just in the tech industry, obviously, this is in all industries across the board. And, you know, I'm curious your take, James, on the applicability of that model to what we're seeing, maybe, you know, the, the, the principles within organizations trying to apply that to their own employee set. I'm glad you brought that. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, when I first heard people talking about employee experience, I I was uh, in a meeting. I can't remember. I think I was in South Africa, right? And I was talking. About, I said, "Well, the only thing I understand about employee experience comes from the customer experience world." And two or three of the people in there came from the CX side. So it seems to me that the customer experience, you know, uh, approach, uh, or at least the the base level of knowledge informs what employee experience is. You know, CX came first in some ways, and then if people started 
applying those principles to, to employee experience. Yeah. 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 The, the last thing that I would say generally on employee experience before we start diving into specifics is I, I think we're at a really interesting point in time. There are a lot of headlines and stories about how the balance of power in this working dynamic has shifted in favor of the employees. And while I think that the balance has shifted in favor of them, I don't know that it's so dramatic that employees now hold all the power and companies need to be desperate to to serve their employees and, and to solve these issues. I, I think that's the, the easy headline to write, or not, not the easy one, but maybe the the, the most uh, enticing headlines to write. And, and I think that you can collect data points that, that might feed into that. You know, for example, you know, one, one thing that I've thought of is you can put a survey out there that would say, how many a days, how many days a week do you want to go into the office? And if that's the only question, then someone's probably going to say, mm, you know, three days a week, five, zero days a week, whatever it is. But there's a lot more nuance in that, that we can't always capture in a survey. Um, and it's, the reality is kind of, how many days a week do you want to go into the office, given your current place in life, given your career aspirations, given what you know about your workplace culture, and given how willing you are to, you know, switch companies? I think that number would be different. Um, and, and so I think that some of the data out there doesn't take into account all of the dynamics between an individual and their employer. And at the end of the day, I, I think employers are still giving people opportunities for upward mobility uh, and, and income. And as much as we've seen a lot of shuffling, um, I, I think the reality on the street is a lot of that shuffling is, you know, from place to place and, and employers are looking for talent, but people are also out there, you know, looking for new things and uh, there's still quite a bit of tension in that. And, and so I don't think that, that companies need to be bending over backwards, but definitely, there are some some new things to consider in terms of how much flexibility do you want to give employees, uh, and and how are you kind of treating them from start to finish? The nuances are so important. You know, to use your example about you know going into work, not going into work. Some of the questions involved in that would be things like, given your job role, given your particular you know life experience level, you know, what's happening right now. When you're at work, what can you get done versus when you're uh, sorry, when you're physically at work, let's say, how does that change versus when you're working remotely? In other words, what platforms are available to you? What kind how what is the nature of the work that you're able to do? What certain things can get automated, right, so that you can focus your time rather on manual tasks or things that are more preparatory to the actual work that you're doing? And, and what are some of the things that can be automated that allow you to get to things that really, you know, take require the higher cognitive level. So I think great points. And I think, I think the main thing is, is understanding how technology, how technology can uh, come to bear uh, to help organi uh, organizations get the most out of their employees and to allow employees to really understand uh, how, how they have certain control over their workflow uh, but also certain uh, that they're being listened to in terms of how they do their workflow, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. You 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 mentioned here, you know, technology tools, and I think that you know, that has a lot to do with the new demands for flexibility in how we work, where we work, um, the the ways in which different generations. We haven't talked about that yet. 
um, approach work, you know, so a younger, you know, somebody just out of school or someone in their late twenties or thirties is really has a different mindset about how work is supposed to run as opposed to somebody, you know, my age, for instance, or, or, or older. Um, and I don't want to pigeonhole people because, you know, everybody can be different depending on, you know, it doesn't have to depend on their age. Um, but, uh, just specifically, though, to the types of tools, because, you know, in looking, um, Seth, you had forwarded the, the McKinsey report that, on this, uh, and I was reading through it, you know, and one of the markers of, you know, happy employees is having the right tools to work with so that they can get their job done, regardless of all of, of environment, regardless of where they are um, it physically in the office or in their home or wherever. Um, is this something, James, that you see that organizations are taking a very hard look at? It, it requires investment, obviously, in resources, mm -hmm. and and you cannot be a one-size-fits-all type of tool for every employee. So this this takes it to another level in terms of personas. Is like, does Carolyn like to work with this type of technology tool, and does James like to work with that one, and Seth likes to work with that one? Um, that makes that complicates matters for the uh, you know for the IT department and and for the organization. Perhaps perhaps in their IT budget as well. But that also leads to happier employees ultimately. It does. And I think one of the things that, that we're realizing is that there were very large companies that were able to invest in these kinds of activities. A lot of the bellwethers, you know, uh, UPS, the, the whole, uh, you know, delivery industry, whether they DHL Express or UPS or whatever, they they did a lot of leadership there. A very large companies, Google or what have you. Cisco, I was talking to one of the HR persons at Cisco about employee experience not too long ago. He was talking about how important it was to be data driven in these things. A lot of smaller companies now, though, are finding that this data is actually accessible to them as well. So it's not just the the big folks that can bring out this fancy technology. Uh, this is technology that is now much more democratized. Uh, it's now something that's much more available. And um, even if you don't have um, a large IT department or a large HR department or what have you, uh, you can rent a lot of this done. That's the term I use, whether it be, uh, you can bring in consultants uh, at a very good uh, you know, rate uh, in terms of dollars, and you can start bringing in these personas. You can start uh, you know, crunching a lot of the data. So, so if employee experience is about being aware of what your employees are going through on their entire journey, you know, let's maybe talk about a few points on that journey, starting with hiring. Uh, you know, James, you pointed yeah. out hiring when you when you brought out this this topic as something specific that you you think is is maybe broken uh, in the industry right now and, and needs to be fixed. So, when it comes to uh, hiring technical candidates, interviewing technical candidates, that entire process, what is it that you're seeing out there? What is it that's making you feel like things need improvement? You know, there's some things that that have worked really well in that. In the tech industry, for example, you're seeing a lot of organizations realize that just looking at a degree and seeing, you know, where she graduated from and what that pedigree was, maybe that's not you know, the, mo the model of the future. So one of the things that I think uh, that has changed a lot is understanding uh, from a tech perspective, do you have to have that four-year degree? You know, is that the only, you know, major thing to look for? And I think it's moving away from that pedigree kind of idea of, well, is, is, is he or she uh, somebody like us or whatever? And is it more, well, let's focus on the skills and see where that can take us. And then so the question becomes, uh, you know, what's broken, what can be broken then is looking at 
um, looking at data in terms of resumes and, and uh, colleges rather than taking a look at, at the actual skills. I think that's one way to unbreak that. Mm. Yeah, skills seems to be um, really coming to the fore in terms of how you evaluate um, your potential candidates. Like you said, the pedigree uh, part of it, while important, you know, and certainly for people who have spent a lot of time trying to get a good pedigree, but, but, uh, but, but it seems pedigree, right. You know, right. yeah. But, you know, but skills, especially in the technical area are important. Um, I'm thinking though, like, you know, how much can you have sort of like halfway there, the skills see potential in that person and then make your organization about skilling people up as well. So in, within the organization, going the last mile, helping them go the last mile to where you would like them to be so that you don't eliminate a whole bunch of candidates that maybe have 75% of the skills that you want, but not that 25%. That's and that right. opens up the field for you. So, but that would, you know, that means reorienting your organization to be one that's primed for training and primed for professional development within. One of the other areas that things tend to get broken in the in the tech space is uh, in terms of hiring a sec. Well, we need to get you know that that hotshot, whoever she is, whoever he is, uh, and then we're going to go out and pay for that. And so you go out and start kind of playing that numbers game. And it's kind of like uh, the analogy I have is what's the old saying that it's better to to work, cultivate an existing customer, right? Rather right. than go out and get a brand new one, right? If you cultivate existing ones, it can be cheaper, more efficient, all that, because you have a relationship. And it's the same way with employees. One of the broken elements is instead of upskilling people that you already have and who understand your organization, et cetera, um, you go out there and kind of engage in that kind of war on talent idea of, okay, we'll bring in and pay ever more. It's not a great model. Yeah. And I, I think, Carolyn, the other thing that happens uh, along the lines that you're talking about of, of this focus on skills and wanting to have exactly the right ones is a tendency to want the person to prove their skills in the interview process. This happens <laughs> a lot in software development. I think it can yeah. also happen in infrastructure, cybersecurity. Yeah. And and I, I know that that is a, a big weight for candidates that are going through the process, especially if you know, they've already been through a training, certification, education program, whatever it is, and, they, and they've got the credentials. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a lot of overhead in, in having companies put candidates through the paces during the interview process. And, and I think that there needs to be a lot more work done there to get employees to understand these credentials are proving the skills. You don't have to do it all over again. Um, and, and then, you know, like you said, Carolyn, I'll get to the point that, you know, even if things aren't a perfect match, there, there's room for training and building that person into the, the person that you need them to be once you've got them in the door. Um, so, yeah, a lot, lots going on in the hiring space. Well, you know, Seth, uh, you bring up the idea. Of, I mean, I've seen it, in the, especially in the programming side of things, the coding side of things. But I see it um, also in the IT space that the the phalanx of people a, a person has to get through, and the you know the kind of committees of responsibility as they as they start the interview process. It's uh, it's it's laborious and it's more of a hazing ritual, I think, and it, it, it can be in a sense rather than something that's really trying to get that data and. Because when people are hiring, they're looking to see if they can hire, they can trust this person on some level, and I think there are better ways to go about determining skill level and things than than uh, kind of uh, one these kind of tech 
technical marathons, but also you you see in the hiring process kind of the you know the odd questions, you know, like uh, you know, what is your favorite color? What does it taste like? Kinds of things to try to figure out how creative that person is. There are much better ways to figure these things out. Yeah. Yeah, and it would seem to me that the, this sort of like hazing marathon ritual, as you said, to the hiring process runs counter to where a lot of employees or potential employees mindset is today with this, you know, the great resignation, demanding more from from uh, from their employers, that old school way of doing things doesn't fit. Um, so, you know, and, and maybe there's some middle ground that needs to be met here. You know, an employee can't demand everything, a poten potential employee, you know, I want to work uh, you know, two days a week and only between the hours of, you know, um, three to five. And that's what's getting, you know, and, and I've heard these weird, you read these stories of people that are, you know, that literally on their resume, these are the requirements for me. Um, likewise, though, having a hiring process that's so laborious and draconian for, for today's, you know, employees, you know, they're not going to bother. They know there'll be an, an employer out there that's going to be much more flexible in terms of what they're offering. And I'm not sure if we've reached the point where we have that sort of stasis yet, where everybody, everything is, you know, um, uh, equal and balanced. You know, yeah, it's that balance that usually when there's a dialogue, there's some sort of, you can call it middle ground, you can call it balance, uh, you can call it, uh, you know, kind of an opening for people to actually do their work. And I think, you know, the, the best um, hiring process is the best dialogues between uh, employee, employer, that whole thing, uh, do take place in terms of, a, of some form of conversation. And yeah. people who, you know, no matter who seems to hold the cards, the employers, the employees or whatever, I think it's more as long as there's a conversation and I'm understanding the questions and I and I can tell that people are responding, then it doesn't matter what side of that you're on. It, it matters more what that conversation is like. Yeah, it's interesting to me that we've been using words like hazing or marathon as we're <laughs> describing this interview process. I think that leads into another point on the journey, which is all the way at the other end of the journey, which is burnout. Mm -hmm. You know, if if this if it starts off feeling very intense and if the expectations are so high is that what's leading to burnout this notion of incredibly high expectations and uh in intense scrutiny through the entire journey you know uh, james what do you, what do you think is is leading to this notion of burnout among technical workers a couple of elements i think uh first of all I'll preface it by saying i've been working uh, remotely on some level in the workforce for since about 2000 2001 so long time. But what I've noticed is that as uh, organizations will use remote workers, obviously last couple of years, but even before that, that trend was happening. There was, a, in a sense, a natural, how do you want to call it, pressure valve release that occurred as people could drive into work and then drive home from work, right, or what have you. And I'm not talking about that huge marathon a uh, huge commute that can be really a problem in and of itself. But that driving back and forth between work, right, allowed a lot of people, right, to change their thinking and et cetera, and it changed yeah. the activity. When you're always working at home, you have to figure out other forms of that. And I think that's something that uh, is something that simple. Uh, not taking that into account can lead uh, to burnout. I think there's that. Mm. There's one element. I think mm -hmm. other elements in the IT space, there's a whole lot of technical change happening. Uh, you know, so many technologies themselves are moving so quickly, plus business um, goals and the ways businesses 
have to achieve those goals can sometimes uh, lead to issues where IT is not brought in strategically. Uh, it can all so between things like you know uh, not being able to walk away from work because work is in the home, right? It's ambient now. Uh, it's in your in your hand with your mobile phone, right? You know, it's always there. All the way to changing technology and then uh, changing business goals and things. I think a lot of those elements can can lead to tremendous creativity, but it can also lead to kind of toxicity as well. But the, managing that sounds like a job. It's a top-down job, like an organization itself. The, the principals need to be in charge of making sure that there is a delineation, whether it's your car ride home or not, between work and now we're back to life, personal life. And, and making sure that, that it is made clear to employees that they can you know, cut, cut, it, cut it off at a certain time. I don't think a lot of companies do that very well. And um, so, you know, who really is infused with the power from an employee level to step up and say, hey, maybe we need to change the culture here. And I guess that gets us into more of a culture conversation in general. Yeah. And it does. It's a policy based thing. Yeah. Something that starts, uh, you can say it starts at the top or it starts at a policy based level, however you want to work that. I like to get it in terms of policy because that way it 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 levels folks out so that it can't be well yeah i know what the policy is but things go from the top and i'm the owner and therefore what i say goes it, yeah. if you take it from a policy based perspective then there's nobody above the law kind of thing you know yeah yeah so as we're wrapping up here i think the last thing that i had on my mind connects the dots between everything that we've talked about so far and that's building skills once you have employees in house i i think that it, it touches on the, the hiring aspect that, you know, you're not necessarily expecting to hire the perfect person. You are planning to give them ongoing training. Uh, and, and that ongoing training uh, is a way that might help them be rejuvenated, you know, as they're going through their journey and not get to the point of burnout. And then finally, I think going all the way back to your original point, James, of the lights going up and down, if you're telling employees, we're investing in your skills. And if you have the right culture and kind of the right mindset about doing that, you're, you're not necessarily telling them you have to have this skill so that we you know, can move forward. You're saying, I care about you, right? And, and, and I care about your journey and I want you to be the best individual that you can be. And I'm not necessarily concerned about training you so that you can jump ship. I, I just want you to be the best. And then that helps the, the, the business be the best. And I think that that is a really strong way of having that open dialogue and back and forth between a company and the employees. There's there's nothing more transformative than than education to an organization. People talk about digital transformation or what have you, but if you consider the social experience that people have at work, which is very important, right, to understand. I mean, that's one of the big lessons we learned out of COVID is that the socialization element. You know, how do you preserve that, or how do you understand how it changes? Then there's the work experience. So social experience, work experience, and then you know how you engage with the organization. And one of the greatest bellwethers or understandings of how that works is how education uh, is uh, included throughout your your entire organization. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it because education is always a uh, a, a feel good topic for the most part. So we'll yeah. Yeah, we will leave it there. But James, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, employee experience is a topic that's not going away. I'm sure we'll revisit it uh, 
along with the compendium of other X topics that we've got, CX and partner experience and employee experience, all important and all interrelated. Uh, but again, thanks for sharing your insights and uh, we'll uh, hopefully have you back sometime soon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, James. And thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrew McMillan. And Carolyn, I'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. Bye-bye.